how would I know if I'm a child what I want? I mean, I just knew that I, that I will be something big. I always had these dreams in my life. And then, like, you know, watching, like, looking at my mom, the way she was living, my sisters and other girls from the village, some stuff I loved, but some stuff I hated. I hated looking at my mom, who was who had two roles in her life, to be a mother and to be a wife. I never wanted that. Hello, my name is Patricia Rozvora and you're listening to Kitchen Conversations. This podcast aims to open up the mysterious and vague Eastern Bloc to a broader audience. For each episode, I'm inviting one artist or researcher and together we explore the relation, interest and the urgency to create within the framework of the post-Soviet sphere. Here, I also wanted to thank everyone for listening and supporting this podcast. It's very rewarding to see that with every episode, the community is growing, which was, of course, the whole point of this platform. If you're a regular listener, you might want to check out my Patreon page, where you can support my work and help me develop this amazing but time-consuming project. You can do that on patreon.com slash kitchenconversations. Today, as you already heard in the short snippet of this episode, I am very happy to have the pleasure to introduce to you an interdisciplinary artist, Selma Selman. Selma is originally from Bosnia and Herzegovina and is of Romani origin. She earned her Bachelor of Fine Arts from Banja Luka University, Department of Painting, and a Master of Fine Arts in Transmedia, Visual and Performing Arts from Syracuse University. In her work, both artistic and activist, the ultimate aim is to protect and enable female bodies and enact a cross-scalar approach to collective self-emancipation of oppressed women. Selma's search for functional contemporary political resistance stems from her personal experience with oppression from various directions and scales. Her activist work, among others, encompasses the founding of the organization Get the Heck to School, which aims to empower Romani girls and other young people all around the world who faced ostracism from society and poverty. So without further ado, I invite you to hear the stories of Selma and what sits behind her powerful pieces and performances. Super happy uh, yeah, to, to have you here. What are you actually doing in Berlin? Well, I had these three days. Uh, I was in Kassel, basically setting up the show for the Comenta, and I had a gap in between, like three days, and I decided to come to see my friends. I have two best friends who are living here. They're also artists, Mila Panic and Sasha Tatic. And I also had a few meetings and uh, to meet you, right? And tomorrow I have to travel again. Catching to Kassel. Up. No, I'm, I'm traveling to Skopje. I'm doing the workshops with kids on the gender. So we have like a gender campaign that we are doing uh, through the entire Balkans. So I'm traveling through all these Balkan countries and uh, giving the presentations about gender equality, 
working with kids, uh, talking with them and having fun. Super nice. Yeah. So you will have like a busy summer, I guess. Well, for me, I always, I, you know, like I remember like when I was uh, younger, for me it was like very normal that I don't have time to rest. I mean, for me, resting was if I have a show somewhere on the in, in the city which has a beach, then I'm going to use it. But now I'm getting older and then I realized that in a year I have to have one month free for myself. But I didn't realize that until now. So from next year, the entire August, I will not be available. You will take off. Yeah, that's how it is, I think, with artists because we kind of always work. And whatever we do is somehow within our artistic research or something. Yeah. And then we don't really take like a proper holiday. And, I think and the problem important. is that sometimes you make yourself too much available to people. And it's sucking your energy. You know, for me, like I need my energy in order to think, to create new works. Of But course. sometimes because of the traveling and all this career making, you don't have time for yourself. For sure, of course, of course. But uh, tell me, so you are based now in Amsterdam? Are you there like for two years kind of set? Or do you travel between the US? Because that's also where you live. Can you yeah. explain a little? <laughs> yes. So basically, I moved to Amsterdam in September. And uh, it's been like, how many? Like probably eight, nine months that I'm living in Amsterdam. But I moved from New York. And the reason why I decided to move is because I got the Rijks Academy, which is amazing opportunity for the artists to develop their works, career, whatever. But when I was living in New York and working there constantly, I was thinking, I don't have time like to make the projects which I always wanted to do. And I was so far from my family that I could only go once in a year to visit. And once in a year I would go to Europe and I would stay for a few months, but at the same time I missed the relationship I had with my family, the works I made there, the relationship with the kids that I have in, in my village, my friends. And I was just looking like for some opportunity to come to me so I can just leave United States. Mm. Even though I have to say that I really had amazing time. I really learned a lot and made myself kind of this, what I am today from the United States. And then coming back to Europe uh, made me start again from zero. But this zero was kind of uh, full of new ideas. So I'm kind of very happy that I'm now in Amsterdam in the city which is so small so romantic, too much kitschy, but at the same time, <laughs> I find these enjoyments which I cannot explain. It's very comfortable, I think, right? It's, yeah. It can feel, it does feel quite safe. If you find your crowds and your yeah. nice spaces to go, it can, I don't know if you experience that. Maybe the biking is not so safe. Well, I, when <laughs> I went there, I was like so scared that with, from bikes. And the first thing, I got a bike and then I hit the the white Dutch woman in the leg and she started to talk to, to yell at me in Dutch and I was like so shocked I didn't know what she's saying I was like so scared that I will get a ticket now because I hit the woman but finally I'm very comfortable with the bike <laughs> and tell me so where are you actually uh, originally from like how do you define your yourself I really like this before we go into <laughs> my background let's talk where I am now yeah well originally I am from Bosnia in a small town called Bihać from the village Ružica it's Roma village 
And uh, I grew up basically there. I did my elementary school and then art high school. And then after the art high school, I moved to another city in Bosnia, in Banja Luka, where I finished my bachelor's degree. I basically graduated from the Academy of Art in the Department of Painting. So I was, <laughs> I'm actually a painter, academic painter. Wow, that's, uh, yeah, because now you do like all kinds of things. I mean, the painting is still, I think, quite present, but yeah. Uh, yeah. but like bring us uh, a little back to the first moment when you were like, I'm an artist or you did some something which was art. Can yeah. you recall something I like mean, that? I mean, like, you know, like you don't know that. How would I know if I'm a child what I want? I mean, I just knew that I, that I will be something big. I always had these dreams in my life. That's beautiful. And then like, you know, watching, like looking at my mom, the way she was living, my sisters and other girls from the village, some stuff I loved, but some stuff I hated. I hated looking at my mom, who was, who had two roles in her life, to be a mother and to be a wife. I never wanted that. And then growing up, my mom would my mom would always tell me, don't end up being like me. When she was angry at me, she would curse me. Don't be like me. And then after I grew up, I realized that that's the best advice I have ever got, like from anyone. And that advice kind of made a space for me because I was like, okay, now I can do something which is going to be a shock for my village. I'm going to make myself acceptable by the white, but also acceptable by my village. And I know that I will always live in limbo, but I'm going to make it. I will make myself independent, successful woman. Regardless what I'm going to do, I'm going to do it the best I can. How does it feel now when you go back to your mom, to your family, to the but, friends mm, from there? Now I have uh, enormous respect. It's very funny, but people in my village calls me Tito. Not only in my village, probably in entire Bosnia. I'm like Tito for them. Crazy. But Tito, which is not woman or a man. Tito, which re represents a success who can lead a nation to the good path. So they see in me some hope, which is a lot of pressure for me as well. But it's not that I started to get that all of a sudden. It took time. I had to grow. And work, right? Yeah, of course. You have to work like crazy in order to get that respect. So it started when I was like younger, working with kids, advising them. And then later I um, made a foundation which is called Get the Heck to School. And then I made a studio in my village which is an um, art institution and library, and media library. Then I created video festivals where I invite all villagers and people from the city to gather in one space and enjoy art. So many things. You did a lot. Yeah, yesterday when I was like preparing and researching, uh, you did so many works. And I think, of course, we don't have time to speak about it all. But perhaps we could start, because you already mentioned your mom, that she was like this big inspiration to you. And I know you worked uh, also with her on some projects. Maybe you would like to tell a little about the, yeah, the stuff you collaborated with your mom on. Well, to be honest, like when I was studying at Academy, I took classes in like um, conceptual art or whatever and that's when I learned that I can use like video that I can use my body in order to perform some messages in order to say my opinions so that's when I started to basically do performances and then I remember I had my camera 
all the time with me or the phone, the old phone. And I would always record something. And every time when I would take a photo of my mom, she would pose for me, like she knew. Because she was posing even before for me to paint her. So I painted my mom all the time. And I remember that, like, the first work which I did with her was in 2000, I think, 14. So I was about to graduate the academy. And then I was like talking with my mom and asking her what would be her biggest wish. What is her wish? And she told me that she always wanted to go to the seaside in Croatia to experience if it's really salty. And she always, like even when I was a child, she would always like talk with people, like how comes that the sea is salty? So she was very excited about that. And then when I was even younger, I was researching about how, for example, I can make my mom's dream come true, knowing that she doesn't have any documents. She was basically stuck in Bosnia for a while because she grew up in Kosovo. And, uh, you know, like when she was 13, she was married for my father, who was that time 17. And then they were not officially married, but she just came to to the house of my father and that was like marriage. Was it an arranged marriage? It was arranged By basically. their families. families. Yeah. That's how it was kind of practiced. Or... Yeah, they really were very traditional so you had to kind of respect the tradition and rules, whatever. But she was basically a child. Like 13 is yeah. like unimaginable. And then uh, when the war started in Bosnia in 92, she was already in, in Bosnia and she was stuck. She couldn't travel anymore. Before, you could travel from one country to another without any documents because it was uh, uh, Yugoslavia. Yugoslavia, yeah. So it was kind of easy yeah. within the Yugoslavia yeah. to travel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after the war, she was also stuck, right? Like she didn't have any documents. She was basically an invisible human being. And um, it was so hard, you know, to find away how to obtain her citizenship because there was no there was no connection with her in Kosovo she was not even there in the in the these uh, books of the birds or whatever in the hospitals nowhere she didn't exist as a human being and then I was researching researching and then I was talking with the police and then some woman in police who is also my friend she told me there is a law in Bosnia which is saying that immigrants uh, who lived in Bosnia during the war because they were there they have a right to obtain Bosnian citizenship. We just needed the proof that she was there. So maybe photographs, right? No. So what happened was that my mom told me that she was receiving a humanitarian aid in 94. And she gave her fun- fingerprint and this guy wrote her name. And then we went to this neighbor to ask if he still has this document. And by coincidence this guy still saved that document from 94. And we took that document and we went to police and made her visible. She then got her documents and she got the ID and passport and everything after 47 years of being invisible. And then I decided to travel with her to go to Croatia, to Zadar. And I remember I had my camera as always And I never thought about making that work to become an artwork. I just wanted to document this first moment because I was just thinking the first moment when someone is meeting something which which was so unfamiliar to them, 
was very precious moment for me. And then I took my camera and then I'm just following her where she's going and what she's doing. And then she's asking me, Selma, what should I do? Do you think here are some big sharks? Do you think I'm going to die? <laughs> so she was just asking me all these questions and I was advising her, directing her. And then uh, that was it. I just recorded this first moment when she says uh, the, the, the water is really salty and she's disappointed. And that's it. <laughs> it's very simple conceptual work, which is actually talking about the human being who wants a better life. And this work can be so much related to the current situation of immigration, refugees, and what's of happening course. to the world. But uh, with this work, you bring somehow emancipation and hope for not only women, but for all of, all of us, right, who, who, who were kind of invisible but needed some hope for something. What and is your mom's name? Uh, Naza. 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 But also very funny thing that I learned the real name and surname of my mom when she got a passport. Because all my life I called her Senada and her real name is Naza. And I never knew when was her birthday. She always said, like, my birthday was when corn would grow. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's when it's her birthday. And we were like, when that grows? So, and then we found out that she was uh, actually born on January 9, 1967. At the, at the beginning of the year, actually. Yeah. In January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, she's really amazing. She's really a hero woman. Hmm. Does she like to be part of your work still, like to work together? Do you? Because you did some other works also. Yeah, I did. The last work I did with her, it's called The Pink Room of Her Own. Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe you saw that work on, on my website. website. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, like talking with her, I don't know, but I always like to make her dreams come true. Because for me, it's the biggest pleasure. <laughs> I don't know. And then again, I asked her like how she imagined her, her childhood room. And she never had one because how do you have a childhood when you become a wife at age 12? And then she would tell me like that she wanted a room which is all in pink. And I was drawing, making the sketches of the room. And I would draw like, I don't know, she said she wants pink piano, pink shoes, pink teddy bear, pink carpet, curtains. Everything in pink. Everything is Why in pink. Why was the pink so precious to her? She's always in pink. She, she's that girl. She you likes know? to wear pink. Yeah, and... she's classy, you know. <laughs> uh, and I was like, okay, let's, let me try to do that. So it took me two years until I got a grant from... Um, from IFA, and we are still collaborating on the show, which is called Eurovision. And they were very, very supportive for this project. And then um, everything that my mom told me that she wanted to have, we actually bought and made in the real room. So you made the physical room The physical for her. room, yes. For example, instead of having a real piano, we talked about that seriously, and I was like, look, you have so small room, there's no way piano can enter in this room. And she's like, I was kidding, I never wanted piano, I wanted piano makeup table. I was like, what the fuck, where do I find that? So I had to find a person who's going to build it. And we made this piano table for makeup, and then I bought everything what she wanted. And, and that's in the house where she currently lives? Yes, it's a work in my house. I mean, it's so a So she has this room and she, she can has, use it now? 
Yeah, yeah, and she's, I mean, my dad is still, is, is allowed to sleep in the room, but he cannot smoke in the room. And basically, <laughs> when you enter in our house, everything is white, and, you know, she's a very clean woman, everything is clean, like in a hospital, and then you enter in a room which is all pink, right? You're like hotel room or something from another world. But it's very nice, like, that's her space, that's her, she has right to do whatever she wants, and finally she gets something on her own, a room of her own. So nice. And when you show this work somewhere, you just show a documentation? I still didn't show the work because it's so hard to find a form in which to show this work because it exists at home and it's already made. So now and it's I just, private, right? You don't want to invite people to enter her room, no? Yeah, but I mean, like, I wouldn't have anything against if people would want to come to our house to meet my mom, to sit, to have right. a coffee and see the room. Some people did that. But at the same time, I was thinking, I don't want to build now another room in some museum just to have a room. No, because And yeah. now I have some ideas how to present that work, but I need to make it a little bit ambiguous. People don't realize immediately, like, what is the room and why I made it. So um, I have some ideas which I have to experiment and hopefully this year in Greece I will show it. All right. In this few minute break, I could be promoting a useless product or an external sponsor that would allow me to make this project financially sustainable. Yet, I want to use this few minutes to tell you more about my Patreon account that I mentioned already at the beginning of this episode to show how you listeners can support this podcast financially. Patreon is an American membership platform, but working also internationally, that provides tools for content creators like me to run a subscription service. Uh, that way, creators can earn a monthly income and in return provide the subscribers with some cool rewards. Under patreon.com slash kitchen conversations, you can find my subscription service where I offer four membership levels. I think it's generally great that all the material that I'm producing is free for you to use and on all the podcast players yet it would also be nice to have a type of income from all the work I'm doing to also uh, bring the podcast farther to invite some more guests speak about various uh, topics have a better quality and also perhaps be able to pay at least a symbolic sum to the guests who share so much uh, of their art and the insights of their practice with all of us. So please check out my Patreon account, see if you can support in any way. Otherwise, you can also share the podcast with one other person that you think could benefit and have an interest in it. So you were uh, actually trained as a traditional or classic painter and yeah. you use still painting and drawing in your practice but yeah you also are a performer and you w work a lot with very specific materials can you speak a little bit about that well when I was in high school I have to be honest I was very ambitious and um, once I remember I got some grant to make my solo show I was 17 
During that time, I was like copying Rembrandt, Van Gogh. Wow. Yeah. Aiming the, high. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you would see my paintings when I was 17, that was like, wow. Sometimes like I don't paint anymore like that. I forgot. And I remember at age 17, like my show was like so like visited. Everyone came to see this little girl who had a show. I was in all news immediately. And now, especially because I'm Roma, that made it more special. But it's somehow, regardless how, how good the feeling was, it was also very scary because I got this attention immediately, which I never had. But I think that I was smart enough to know how to use it and not to destroy myself. Later, when I started Academy, I was again, right, painting very, very, very realistically, like traditional, like, you know, big portraits, portraits. right? You portraits, like people. women, you know, figures. I was also doing the landscapes and uh, whatever. But just one, one uh, thing regarding the landscapes. I would never in my life paint landscapes. Never, never. From age 17 until age 25, I was painting landscapes for selling. So basically, I had a deal with my father. He would buy canvases. For example, in one day, I would paint five landscapes and he would sell that for all his friends, for all people from Bihaj. They all have my landscape painting. <laughs> and sometimes amazing. that was the same landscape painting. I still remember it. It was like a landscape of the city where I live, Bihaj. Uh, it was like a Bihaj during the night. So basically, I knew how to paint that even if I would close my eyes. You know, like black... <laughs> orange, the the trees, a little bit shadows, white, and my signature. People love it. Yeah. <laughs> so my father was amazing manager. You know, like when I started to sell my painting, paintings, I never, how would I say, like, people didn't know what he's selling in Bosnia. He sold to everyone. <laughs> Another funny thing what he used to do to, for me is like, he would buy these paintings, which are like... Uh, fake paintings which you buy in these uh, stores for one euros but they're fake these like reproductions yes like these women in these cars sahara the horses and then he was he convinced me to just put a little bit of color and signature and that was the hardest part because i was thinking what if someone's find out that that's the copy and this is not real but still sees my name so all my signatures were just ss because I was like, maybe people don't know who is the artist. Basically, that was just the story about the landscape that I still have the night. Did you change then. your signature since then, or it's still the same signature? Now I don't put the signatures no. on my conceptual uh, art. Yeah, doesn't <laughs> because I feel like now everyone knows my paintings, which are on metal, right? But even though every four years I paint on canvas, every four years, but I can't anymore. I'm like, it's like nightmare for me like painting on canvas. I'm scared of this whiteness starting from the beginning. I love material which already has the history which I can transform into something, I don't know, different. So that's why I use metal, basically. But I started at the same time, like a um, long time ago when I was studying at Academy. But firstly, because of the economic reasons, because as a student, having a, a canvas was very expensive but also you were always scared oh what if I make mistake you know then I would need another canvas and another one so I was like I don't have this privilege 
And then I remember I went home and I was like looking at my father's scrapyard. He has a scrapyard, which I also, I was also trained in like breaking the washing machines and vacuum cleaners and cars. And then I was like, okay, I see all these metals, which are somehow beautiful. And it's kind of easy to paint on them. So I tried. The first painting I did was a portrait of my father. It looked so good, it's better than painting on the, on the canvas. And then another painting was my entire family and then my self-portrait. And then I brought these three works at the academy and I showed to my professor and I told him the story. And then he told me, this is conceptual work, you have to continue. You know, when you also have a good teachers, it also... Who guide of, you in yeah, the right it's direction. It's also very important, just so, to have someone to direct you a little bit. Of course. Can you give a little uh, background to uh, working with metal as kind of uh, practiced in your family? or? Yeah. So basically, uh, my father started working with metal... Uh, long time ago, 15, 18 years ago, basically, when no one was recycling, all Roma people from my village were recycling metal and living from it, basically, which I think it's a genius idea because first it's like ecological, but at the same time, like you make money from it. And then I remember like helping him. I was not going with him into villages to collect the scrap metal, to buy it and then sell it. I was just home waiting for him and then I would help him in the garden because he would do that alone. So I was like feeling bad if I don't help him. And that's when he taught me like- How to how, reassemble. How to reassemble, which material is more expensive, which like, for example, the most expensive is copper. And then you have to put it on the side. The, some people would come to buy that separately. So I knew how to sell it and you you said that uh, it's a common job done by uh, the communities or by yeah. Roma people. Is it a thing that is done uh, collectively? Is it like a family thing that also, for example, kids are involved and the women, or is it more like a gendered uh, thing? Basically, a lot of a lot of Roma poor people are doing this job because, you know, like this is the the hardest job basically to do because it's physical, it's very dangerous, but at the same time for this job you don't need education and you don't need connections. So you just basically buy a van and go from the village to the village, collect the iron, go to the recycling centers, sell it, and then you have money for lunch. But uh, the job itself is not valuable enough because people are not perceived seriously doing this right they're perceived as the poorest as the you know the dirtiest as someone who just are not important you know and the reason why for me was important to kind of involve the the labor which my family has been doing for so many years is to make this transformation of the values it is important that those people are doing physical labor right and then when I transform that for example when I use the metal which my father gave to me to paint in it and put in the gallery then this this metal gains a little bit more value and it becomes my own tool for survival but at the same time when it is my survival it is also the survival of my family so we do the same job and I have to be honest like sometimes for example you saw my paintings like in in uh, Amsterdam, mm -hmm. 
it's amazing feeling when I think about that some pieces, I remember where they came from and how many hands were holding it. I feel the pleasure when they are appreciated by those rich people. Because that's when the transformation happens. When something which is not valuable becomes so much valuable that you don't see anything else than the beauty of it. Now this thing which didn't existed before into your minds ever becomes something that you're thinking about that. I had to think back to an anecdote that you shared in one of the interviews. Uh, when you were already living in the U.S. and then you got invited to do a performance, um, I think, in Croatia. And then you were like kind of thinking what to do, what kind of performance oh, to yeah, do yeah, in yeah. Europe. And you called your dad and then your dad said, just smash a washing machine and the audience oh, yeah. will be excited. And that's what you did, right? Yes, that's the most beautiful <laughs> thing that I have with my my entire family is this relationship where they really understand the art so much and they exactly know how I think, you know, and what I want to do. And then, no, this was really... Uh, Happening. No, seriously. And not only that work, many other works as well. The titles of my shows, the titles of my works and everything. So many ideas I got from my father. But sometimes he's telling me as well, stop uh, stealing my ideas and my work, you know? <laughs> so I have to do the compensation. I pay for that, believe me. <laughs> I mean, they are part, right? You also did a performance with your entire family where you were yeah. dissembling or smashing a Mercedes. Can you speak a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, so basically I remember 2019 I got this invitation um, to do a performance um, in Hamburg for Cross Festival, and they said, "Do you have some ideas?" I was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Can I? Can you buy me Mercedes? I want to smash it with my family." So people were laughing <laughs> at me, and then I spoke with my father, and then I asked my father, my brother, and one neighbor as well from the village, would they do that performance with me? And they agreed, yes, if they would be paid. And then I have a talk with the director and I say, this is how much they want to be paid. You need to buy Mercedes. We need these tools. And this guy said, yes, let's do it. Amazing. I remember uh, we had a meeting, my father, my brother and my neighbor. And we were thinking about what to wear for the performance. And that's when my brother said, we should look like Matrix, like the film Matrix. And I was like, that's an amazing idea because Matrix is about some future, something that we have to discover ourselves because we are proposing something completely new to the audiences. And then uh, we requested like all these uh, leather suits, um, shoes, uh, I don't know, like uh, gloves, glasses. And yeah, they yeah, found, the found everything for us. Like, and that was really amazing. And I remember like all of them telling me like how much they were proud doing that. That first time in their life, they felt like the labor they're doing is valuable. And I was like, that's amazing to hear. That's exactly what I was aiming for. We had so much fun. It was one of my best performance experiences. How long did it take? Two and a half hours. And yeah. what is like the aim of when you like destroy a car? What are you looking for there? Well, basically all the performances where I kind of dismantle something, I call them self-portrait, self-portrait uh, dismantling washing machine or self-portrait Mercedes Matrix. So these are all kind of self-portraits where I'm painting myself 
through the performances by also inviting my family to be part of it and then we all together create our own portrait. But as I said, I was not interested in destroying. I, mean, I was interested in the surgery of the, of the object. And e in each my performance, if you precisely see, I don't just smash it, I take the parts which firstly has to go out. Right, and then I'm, that's the way how I basically build my portrait, putting the parts which are valuable one side, another one which are not valuable on another side. And that's how I create this deconstruction and construction of my identity, of the, of the place where I'm coming from, of this transformation of the values, of the appreciation of the other audiences. Um, the work is also a lot of related to the labor, to the economy, ecology, capitalism, and many, many, many other layers. It just depends in from which direction you see it. But also when you think about the symbols of the of the car, like Mercedes represents like a big symbol and value. And me by transforming it, I am then destroying that value and giving it another value by creating something which I kind of dismantled. From what I understood, you also collect the most valuable elements, metals, and then create an object out of it which can be sold and then the money can kind of come back to your community? Is that the circle you're operating in? Can you tell a little bit about the, yeah. I think you created this kind of X? Yeah, that was the performance which I did last year. It's called Platina. And for that performance, of course, the performance always has to kind of be negotiated with the museums, if they will accept that, whatever, but also I talk with my family if they want to do it. So it's I'm always in both sides, always in limbo. And then <laughs> um, we had a serious conversation about, okay, the idea of the performance was that I collect uh, electronic waste. That was the initial idea. And that, that from the electronic waste, I recycle white gold. Unfortunately, no one in Sarajevo could help me recycle that, even though every year they throw six tons of the electronic waste and not use it. Again, I talked with my father. I was like, we cannot do that. What should I do now? And then my father was like, well, if you look deep into cars, there is like a platina, which is white gold. But in order to recycle that, we have to buy cars, old cars, which have catalyzed converters in themselves. And then we have to cut the catalyzed converters, collect the black dust, work with the chemist and extract the white gold. And that was the performance. The first part of the performance took place in the village where entire village was looking for the cars with the, with the catalyzed converters. Every, you know, like how... You know, in order to see if the car has a catalyzed converters, you have to look Underneath. down on yeah, the car, yeah, yeah. yeah, under the car. So entire village is walking like on, on, on one side of the head and looking for the <laughs> catalyzed converters. And the entire village would come to sell me. And then immediately the price got so high. You know, because I'm looking for the catalyzed converters. But finally, we managed to find six cars. Six cars. Mm -hmm. And then the problem was like, there was no possibility to put those cars, to install them in the, in the museum as a whole. Because the space, the doors were so small. <laughs> and then we had to cut the cars in half just to have the bottom part. And then we have these six bottom parts of the cars and then there is no way that we can use machines 
you know, to go through the stairs. So I had like six people helping me to put that from the from the entrance to the second floor of the museum. And I was second directing floor. them. And then we had these six uh, cars in the in the museum. And then the performance was that uh, I, together with my father, brother, and uh, two other cousins, we were cutting these catalyzed converters. And then I worked with the chemist separately in the laboratorium. And then I managed to extract 33 grams of the platinum, white gold. And then I created a small X. How, how small is it? Um, it's like uh, <sighs> 10 centimeters. Yeah, 10, something like that. It's, it's tiny, yeah? It's not savvy. It's 33 grams. Does it's it like work? A no, but you can cut your finger. You can't really, okay. but you can cut your finger. So it's quite a dangerous tool. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what should I make from that? what I get like from these platina and I was like I need to create something which created me and which is symbol of me and of my existence and my fights and my resistance so I was like the the tool which represents me the best is the axe because all the performances that I'm doing I mean almost all I am like doing with an axe because this is something that I used when I was working with my father when I work in my performances so I created this sculpture basically which is also like a tool something for like jewelry but it's so precious and so small and one of my most important works. Uh, where can it be seen this work? In uh, this year in Kassel for Documenta. Amazing yeah. yeah I hope to be there. For the end I would like you to tell us a little bit about your activist work you mentioned already at the beginning that you're supporting young girls, uh, Romani girls, and uh, I think it's very important the job you do for them and in general for for the community where you come from. So if you can elaborate a little on that. So basically, I created the foundation in 2017. During that time, I was studying in the United States. I was doing my master's. And um, when I had this idea and said to a few people, people would always tell me, Salma, you're crazy, you're too young to have a foundation and you don't have money. And I was like, I have no time to wait because if I miss one year, someone's life can be destroyed. And I insisted and I found the foundation, female organization, which is called Bay Heart, and they live in Washington, D.C. And they helped me to make like a first fundraiser where I was selling my works. I was basically selling mostly all, all my paintings and gave 100% of the sale into education of the first five girls. So we managed to give, to give them the scholarships. And then after that, I started to work alone, also by selling my paintings, by creating fundraisings, and then applying for small grants. And then I managed to do that for the last five years. Altogether, I had 12 girls and three boys. And uh, they were all getting the scholarships, and I was uh, also a mentor and a role model. But also before the corona, we had, I, I mean, I always say we, and I'm alone. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, but basically, um, <laughs> we were giving also the lunches in school for 35 kids, but only for the three years. Because after the corona, like it was like, I mean, before corona, it was impossible to do it because all the schools were not working and it was a very scary moment as well. And then um, now 
I had to take a break because it was too much obligation and responsibility for me, especially working alone on this. So now I'm looking for partners who will help me to make the foundation more sustainable. And I hope that next year, when the school starts, that I will be able to start giving scholarships, even though it hurts me, but uh, I can't. I mean, you just, you either destroy yourself it's a lot or of you work take a break. For one person, of yeah. course. So. And those uh, girls, or you said also boys, young people are coming from uh, your village, right? They're all from my village. I, and I know them. I mean, they all know me, so they cannot bullshit me. But I also want to kind of uh, start kind of working with um, many other children from another cities to be more regional, you know, like to have an open call that everyone can apply, you know. And then, of course, I have to make selection from all of this. But uh, one day, I, I hope that one day that foundation will manage to help to all kids in Bosnia who needs help, not only Roma, but all, but also in other countries. I also worked a lot in India, and I was supposed to go to teach in Tanzania, but, you know, with life I have now, which is very crowded and busy, I need to take breaks because I need to first uh, save myself, and I didn't know that before, but now I know, and then later I can continue with my activism. Of course, uh, because you're showing now your work in Castle, uh, the Documenta, also uh, in Manifesta. Yes. Is that, uh, which city is that it's taking place? It's in Pristina, yeah, Kosovo. And, uh, in Kosovo, exactly. The plan is also for me to have a big solo show in Berlin uh, in like a year or two. Great. But also like if people want to know more about me and my works, uh, they can always email my assistant and she's always available to send the portfolios where we have more works and more informations. Yeah, I was really uh, positively surprised that you're so approachable since, yeah, from the outside and I think that's the reality it looks like you're quite an established artist and very busy, of course. But I always appreciate uh, if you still find you know, time for people like me and that you came here, I really, really appreciate. Yes, of course. I'm very happy when I see young women doing something which is important, having the voice of many people to be heard, not only, you know, German artists, but also us, like, who are coming from the different circumstances. And that's always... That kind of job has to be appreciated and we need to give more voices and spaces, you know, for, for, for young women. Not only young women, but for, of course, everyone. Because when you think about the art world, it's not fair sometimes. And um, in order to, mm. to, to kind of get this respect where I am now or where you are, you have to work your ass off. And some people, they get everything on the table you know, because of the background. So we always have to fight three times more. Mm. Last but not least, now a little off topic, but it's part of tradition of my podcast. I wanted to uh, finalize uh, with speaking a little bit about your favorite uh, food okay. from home. 
from home. Since, yeah, podcast is called Kitchen Conversations. Okay. The idea, of course, is to, yeah, space which historically was, uh, the kitchen was a space where you could kind of freely speak mm. outside of the authorities, mm-hmm. kind of, you and I, but... I also feel countries which I involve here in this podcast, all these regions and cultures, do share somehow the tastes. Mm. So that's why I always ask each guest to share with me a favorite recipe. Yeah, when you go home and maybe your mom cooks it or maybe your dad or maybe you cook it. Mm. Like, what is it? Well, I'm also very hungry, to be honest. (laughs) I didn't eat anything from the morning. But yeah, I mean, there's so much food. But the first thing which I love when I go home is like having a coffee with my mom with sweets, you know. And then she makes a special breakfast for me. I love it. I don't know if you eat meat. I eat. <laughs> so basically, basically, she takes like a beef meat, which which is like a minced meat. Minced you know? meat. Mm-hmm. And then you have to cook it a little bit. No, cook it. Just fry it a little bit and then you put three eggs. Uh-huh. And then you fry all of that together and she makes homemade bread. And then I eat that in the morning. For it, breakfast? Yes, it's the best breakfast you can ever have. It's so good. But I also like when she makes burek. Mm-hmm. Um, burek oh. is so good. I love with uh, with cheese. So good. And with yogurt, amazing. Oh, and how is this first dish called? Is there a name for it or is it just Chilbur. The first one is called Chilbur. That's with minced beef and eggs. And the second one is Borek, which is also with the beef meat. <laughs> so in my cuisine, it's only meat, even though I started to kind of um, eat less meat. But I miss my mom's food a lot. You know, I miss this... Um, smell of home sometimes with food like when she makes these soups you know with uh, a lot of vegetables which kind of makes you alive you become a, uh, like a real person again okay I miss that so much totally and uh, the coffee is it like a special coffee it's Bosnian coffee people call it Turkish we call it Bosnian <laughs> so it's a thing right you drink a lot of coffee there oh my god like it's a strong one also yeah like at least three times with with sugar well i mean yeah i mean people in bosnia they all have diabetes i mean many people <laughs> i i'm i'm fine because you know like i don't drink coffee with sugar <laughs> you know but everyone smokes everyone drinks coffee you know yeah so. but it's also in the culture i feel no it's part of it uh, yeah i mean it is but sometimes it's like so pleasurable when you see people drinking so much coffee. I mean, it's like film of Jim Jamush, coffee and cigarettes. That's the exactly the story yeah, yeah, yeah. of our life, right? This was it for today. Thank you for reaching till the end of this episode. I will see you next time with another great artist and speaker. And as mentioned at the beginning, you can support this podcast via Patreon on patreon.com slash kitchenconversations or alternatively, you can also help me develop this platform by making a one-time donation, following my Instagram account or leaving a comment on one of the podcast players. All of the needed links are placed in the show notes of this episode. 
take good care. Until next time.